Support the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention at any of our 11 out-of-the-darkness walks across Maryland to fight suicide and raise awareness for mental health. Join us. Find a walk near you at AFSP.org slash MDTogether. Join Planet Fitness today and get more epic energy and better sleep with tons of equipment in our clean and spacious clubs. Join for $1 down, $10 a month, cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, October 14th. It's glow time. See club for details. Millions of despairing men, women, and little children, victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. You cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. Produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and seed to the far corners of the kingdom of God, the The kingdom of heaven. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. We're not saying that planet Earth is coming to an end. We're saying that planet Earth is about to be refurbished, spaded under, and have another chance to serve as a garden for another civilization. Most of the people in here are just your reflections. They're your mistakes. 1776 will commence again if you try to take our firearms. One million of the planet's eight million species are threatened. You are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Your lives and the credibility of the United Nations is at stake. Epstein didn't kill himself. The reason this is such an interesting time is not only because we're on the threshold of the end of this civilization. They're trying to take you out with bullshit. The experience of the past two years has proven beyond doubt that no nation can appease the Nazis. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die. And the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. In the language of the US Department of Defense, these are unidentified aerial phenomena. Roswell's a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. Uh, there is very compelling evidence that we, uh, we may not be alone. This is the Garden of Doom. Welcome everybody into Garden of Doom. And this week we have with us Tashira Pather. She is the host of two podcasts, The Asian Tapestry and Legendary Africa. Today we are focusing on The Asian Tapestry. And first I want to welcome her to the show. How are you doing, Tashira? Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. I'm doing great. It's great to be here. No, no, thanks. Thanks for coming on. So if any of you have not listened to her podcast, A, you should. B, you'll know that they sort of tell, she sort of tells, not they. I'm always putting, I'm always putting things in plural, mostly myself, because I want this to seem like a bigger deal than it is when it's just <laughs> me and, and my fiance who does the uh, editing. Um, so, nice. yeah, so it is a we uh, of sorts. Anyway, so what she does is she tells stories about myths, legends, and lore um, from, obviously, in legendary Africa. It's about Africa, and the Asian tapestry is from Asia. Uh, But she tells them they're usually nice tales. It's almost like she's telling fairy tales in a nice, she's got a lovely sing-songy voice. They're lovely. Well, I've brought her on to Garden of Doom to not tell nice stories. I've asked her to talk about scary stuff, monsters and legends that are scary and 
you know, all, you know, Garden of Doom stuff. Everything you would expect in the Garden of Doom. Um, so if she gets too nicey-nicey, I'm here to make sure that, that she gets, uh, channels her inner evil. Um, so thank you for coming in. Thank you for sharing with us the Asian aspect. We're just for those of you who are wondering, we are scheduled to do a show in the future with doing the same thing about Africa. Um, but as the listeners know, I've, I've, uh, finally broken that glass ceiling and, and gotten into Asia past the Middle East, um, and recently did a show on Indian and the Vedic culture and pan, uh, the uh, pantheon there and have a show scheduled to do the tenets of Hinduism and, and Hindu mysticism and numerology and astrology and that stuff. So, uh, like I said, going ever east and uh, recently did a Garden View episode uh, with my colleague Farzad, who's from Afghanistan. But, and while we didn't talk about anything Afghanistani, uh, we will. Um, so in the future, not on that show, that show's about intellectual property law. Boring. Let's, <laughs> let's get into the scary stuff. So firstly, uh, Tashir, is there anything that you want to tell the folks, anything besides those two shows you want to talk about? And keep in mind that for sure you will be able to promote everything at any point, but especially at the end as well. Yeah, no, thanks. No, thanks. Thanks so much for that. Um, no, I was just thinking that this is, I'm really keen to do this because I actually am a huge sort of horror fan and I love the dark stuff. But it's true that on my shows, I don't, I don't really go to. I mean, I think the maybe I did the uh, where I, you know, was sort of the darkest I really got, um, because I try to sort of keep it open to everybody. Aside from the occasional swearing, I want you know younger audiences to listen to it as well. I suppose so. I'm keen to, I'm keen to get into the gritty details. <laughs> okay, so we're going to turn you into a rated R superstar today. You're going, to, <laughs> you're going radio MA. We're going, we're going to, we're going to see her dark side. And maybe those fans of hers that, uh, you know, are looking for a little bit more, you know, teenage to adult content uh, rather than tweener and kids, you'll, you'll hear a whole new Tashira. So listen, you're in the lead. Take us, take us where you want. Uh, you know, I would just ask it. I know that you will take it. Tell us where in the region's rumbius Asia is ginormous um, with so many different cultures, peoples, religions, everything you can think of. Um, and everybody who's listening to the show is on earth as far as I know, and they should know that. Um, but you can tell us what region it's from and then take us on. But the, the, this is, this is your dance you're leading. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. That's, that's always the interesting thing about, um, this kind of law more so with, I think African law where it's, it's often really hard to pinpoint where this story came from, who's talked about it. Like often you just get, uh, Indian myth or an African myth and that's about it. You can't really tell um, where it's from, which is which is both annoying and also, I guess, quite interesting because you're going to try your hardest to sort of delve into where they come from. Um, so the first the first thing that I wanted to do was talk about the Vatala, and that's one of the uh, creatures that I, I can't find anything in terms of where they're from. Maybe there are other people who can like comment and be like, this is where it's from, but I couldn't. As far as I know, it's just from Hindu mythology. Um, and basically the Vatala is uh, a kind of a paranormal being. It's likened to a modern demonic vampire or zombie. So you've got like three different things packed into one here. Nice. Um, have you ever heard of the Vitala? Uh, I don't think so, but it, it, I did a couple shows on vampires, and it turns out there is a lot of overlap uh, between mm -hmm. werewolves, zombies, and vampires, and even witches. Uh, and shapeshifters, and 
you know, it seems like the vampire is really more of a more modern construct the last thousand years. Before that, I think any anything before that, people are calling vampiric or vampires. I think they're taking liberties with what the, the creature really is. It's really some form of, form of a revenant. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe the Vitala is something different. Maybe that, that's something I missed in my uh, extensive research. <laughs> <laughs> I think what happened really is that back in the old good old days that they sort of had everything, this creature was sort of a mishmash. And as we got more and more modern, we've, we've decided to separate them into sort of like clear... This is vampire. This is a zombie. This is a demon, or whatever. Uh, but I think you know the old people are just like it's, it's everything. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, the Vitala hangs upside down from a tree. So that's where the vampiric expert comes. But it possesses a corpse, and that corpse then stops decaying. So that's the zombie. And um, it's thought to be a spirit that lingers in graveyards, and it, and it, it's waits there to possess the sort of newly dead. So it wants a somewhat of a bit of a juicy, bit of a fresh corpse. It doesn't want the uh, decayed ones. <laughs> sure. Um, you want to still be handsome or beautiful. Yeah, I mean, if I was to choose a you know dead person, it's going to be someone that's still like lush. That's right. You got you have to hang out by the the Hollywood uh, cemeteries. <laughs> Just go possess Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> right. Not that we're wishing any harm on Chris Hemsworth or either of his no, two brothers, no. but but those would be acceptable <laughs> bodies for uh, for a zombie demonic ghost spirit. Yeah. Um, and then they're also thought to drive people insane, murder children, and cause miscarriages, which I found to be particularly creepy. So there's the demonic side of it. So it's like a real three-in-one special. Do they drink blood? That's interesting that they uh, they don't seem to. It seems like what they do mostly is is possess. There's not enough uh, literature, I guess, that tells us what they do, like how they kill people. <clears throat> do they eat the people? So, honestly, I'm not sure. I wouldn't be able to say. The biggest thing we have is that they, is that they kill them. Um, if it's a demonic kind of possession... I'm a, I don't know whether they would, I don't know whether how they would kill their host or if they would, I'm, I'm going to say probably like, probably eat them if they're, if they're thinking of them as a vampire, whether or not they suck their blood is, I think, up for debate. Now, if they uh, possess a dead body and let's say they're not particularly happy with their body or they just believe in variety is the spice of life and they, <laughs> they, <laughs> and they kill their next victim, let's just say they strangle them. Some something where they're they're dead, but the, the you know it's just bruising. But they like that body. Can they jump from body to body? Uh, potentially, uh, they are thought to they thought to sort of exist between uh, the realm of the dead and the realm of the living. So they're sort of in this like purgatory section. Um, so I don't. You would think it, I think it would make sense that, that they would be able to, but I don't. Obviously, again, I don't unfortunately know enough about. There's just, just not enough of it down about them, whether they can sort of hop from host to host. That's why I think about the um, movie uh, Fallen, where um, the, the demon went from body to body. And uh, and some of the guests I've had in the past, you know, the way they described the Nephilim, uh, it was the same. It was, uh, they were sort of demonic. They were de-bodified angels or de-bodified uh, demons that uh, their presence they could jump from body to body and uh, listen it's it's not important whether the vitala can or can't it's just uh no, curiosity being, the, being yeah 
if there were zombies stuck in one body, that's 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 fine too. But um, it seems like they they unlike a zombie, they're not mindless. It seems like they still have their mind. Yeah, yeah. No, there, there's actually a really interesting story that I'm gonna get into. They're they're definitely clever thinking beings, and um, they don't have to be. I, I, they don't necessarily have to be evil or malicious. Um, they could be just wanting to have a second go with life, essentially. Um, and I mean, really, to be perfectly honest, no, the person's dead. Like, you know, someone could take his body and I'm all for it. That's probably going to be really controversial for people. But. Well, I mean, you know, on, on, on one level, yes, but it, it, it would be worse if they could do what I did. Like, they can, you know, choose their victims. Let's just say that you wanted to be like, you know, you always want to be like a beautiful woman and you decide to murder Sofia Vergara or something and then you took yeah. her body. I mean, or if you wanted to be uh, Chris Helms, Helmsford and then you murdered him and took his body. I mean, you know, you're, you're, there is there is a different level of, you know, morbidity between, you know, t- taking an already deceased and, and then making one deceased to take their body. So maybe it's better that we don't know the answer. Of course, this is Garden of Doom, so we're full of inconsistencies. Um, <laughs> I failed to tell people a little bit about you, um, aside that you have these two podcasts. So... Uh, Tashira is from Indian descent, but she's she's born and raised in South Africa. I, I believe she's third or fourth generation in South Africa. Recently, though, she moved to uh, Scotland. Uh, now she's uh, doing some studies there and whatnot, but we have a true tri-continental uh, person here. So, um, so that's why you have someone that's doing the Asian tapestry and legendary Africa. And depending on how long she spends in Scotland, you know, pretty soon she'll be doing the, the fair folk and giants and Merlin too, I'm sure. Um, but <laughs> it's just inevitable. All these interests seem to dovetail to one another. Sorry. So we've got a Ritala who is sort of a demonic spirit who may or may not take many bodies, but certainly takes one. Hopefully they pick a body that's not too, um, uh, decomposed uh, for their taste, but you know, maybe they just like the Tara. And we're not sure how they kill other people. We don't know if they drink blood or if they eat the people. And the reason I ask these things is, you know, vampires drink the blood, uh, you know, werewolves and zombies tend to eat the flesh of their victims. So uh, these might be distinguishing features, which is not so clear, but there's a lot of witch lore out there where they actually do steal babies and kill babies and use babies for things. Uh, you know, ask any adherent to QAnon, but also ask the ancient Sumerians and, you know, because the, possibly the first witch, or at least the first witch that made it to statues and writing that we've identified is Lilith. And in a, in a lot of ways, she's sort of like a harpy demon baby stealer, um, which, you know, as fun as that is, it, uh, I mean, it's got to be a metaphor for why so many women died in uh, in childbirth and pregnancy and, and why so many babies didn't survive, you know, uh, delivery. Um, yeah. You know, that, well, that's the thing. I mean, we've always been using myths and laws and creatures to attribute what is really just medical, medical deaths, you know, we think. that's understandable. It is. Of course it is. You know, and it's not even, it's not even that we haven't really stopped either. I mean, we, we, mm. we still do it. And, you know, I mean, as recently as a, couple hundred years ago with the various, you know, bubonic plagues and black deaths, they were, you know, the ring around the rosy song that that's to, it's a children's song about why there's so many rose petals. And it was the cover 
the, the scent of the dead, but the, you know, the red was sort of floating all over the place because that's, that's how they covered the burning body. So there were rose petal ashes combined with, well, person ashes. Um, but forget about me. Who can, nobody needs to hear from me. Um, so I love that. Yeah, well, you have to have me on your show, and I'll I'll babble a lot. But uh, oh yes, please. Yeah, people people are here to listen to you talk and tell us about. So what's our what's our next scary creature, lore, myth, something? Mm. Oh well, actually, before we move on, I just wanted to tell this. It, it's interesting about the Vitala because the one story that's quite a detailed story that we have presents it as a as almost a sage like creature, which I thought very mm. interesting. Yeah. Um. Like in, in great contrast to to a modern vampire zombie. So um, so one of the properties of the Vitala before we get into the story is that it actually has the power to see the past, present, and future because they're in this liminal space of of not being dead, not being truly alive. So they have access to basically your three dimensions, if you want to say that. Um, and so quite a few people. Uh, allegedly have tried to capture and enslave the Vitala to use their powers to basically enrich themselves. Um, and we've seen this in a Sanskrit work called Vikram Batal or Vitala Panchamshati, which I apologize to anybody who actually speaks Hindi <laughs> if I'm butchering this. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm actually from Tamil background and I, I can't speak Sanskrit, so sorry. <laughs> Um, and this is a collection of Indian legends, and our earliest known copy is, um, I think it was from, written in the 11th century, but it's obviously based on ancient oral tradition. Um, so the story is is about a legendary king called Vikram Ditya. And Vikram, so the story goes, promises a Vamachari, and a Vamachari is a sorcerer, um, that he will go and capture a Vitada. So the sorcerer has told him to go and do this to sort of like prove himself in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so Vikram finds and tries to capture the Vitala, and the spirit proposes a deal. So that's already telling us that it's it's obviously got a very, it's not, it's not just a stupid creature. Um, and the Vitala says that he'll tell Vikram a story, which will end with a riddle. And if Vikram cannot answer the question, the Vitala will allow him to capture him. Sphinx-like. Okay. Sphinx-like, very Sphinx-like. Yeah, yeah, that's just very interesting. There's so much overlap, it's, it's really cool. Um, and then if Vikram knows the answer, um, the Vitala will go free. But if he knows the answer, he can't lie about not knowing it, because if he does that, his head will explode into ah. a thousand pieces, <laughs> which I would like to have that's how the story goes, you know, because that would be cool. But sure, no. of course, yeah. Full <laughs> scanners. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so he tells the Vitala tells his first story and his, and his riddle and Vikram caresses the answer correctly, and he tells him second story and third story and eventually twenty four riddles later, Vikram is still trapped in the cycle of having to tell the the truth. So he comes to his twenty fifth story and uh, I actually want to hear your answer to this riddle because oh, no. it messed my mind slightly. So this is the story. So there's a father and a son in the aftermath of a devastating war. They find a queen and a princess alive in the chaos and take them home. The son marries the queen and the father marries the princess. Eventually, the son and the queen have a son and the father and the princess have a daughter. The Vatala wants to know what is the relation between the two newborn children. Okay, so father and princess. That's right, 
Queen it's a riddle. It's a riddle podcast. Son. And they both have children that we don't know the gender of the children. Um, one is a girl, one is a boy. Well, they're both both half siblings, mm-hmm. but I think they're also half. Yeah, they're they both they're both half siblings. Right. I, I I think that would be the answer, but I'm assuming it's because also the father would also be the grandfather of the half of his child's tough sibling. Yeah, it would be the half grandfather, and the queen would be the half grandmother yeah. <laughs> as as well. Uh, so I guess it depends from whose perspective. But uh, yeah. I mean, there's yeah, we don't we don't know the relative ages of king and son and queen and daughter, mm-hmm. and the queen and daughter are not related to the king and the son, so there's no like mm-hmm. cousin stuff or you know incest stuff. I mean, you know, so mm-hmm. I mean, you could have a thirty year old queen and an eighteen year old princess. That's yeah, so lots of things. I'm not entirely sure why that stumped him so much, but it is a bit of a confusing riddle if you've done 24 previous ones, I guess. Well, well, one answer is that neither you or I got it right, and we're not that clever, or B, maybe Vikram wasn't that clever. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, he can answer this, and the Vitala is captured. Then, while they're going back to the um, sorcerer... Maybe the Vitala Vitala wanted to be captured, and it was... That's what I think, yes. Yeah. It, like he he was pretending it was a test to make Vikram think that he's smart, but he really wanted to be captured because that's that's where his he's not really captured. This is where his fun begins. That's what that's what I'm thinking because yeah, it turns out that this is actually a, a good Vitala. I'm going to say a decent a decent guy. But he so sounds like, But they sound a little bit like tricksters, you know. I mean, a little bit like Loki or Jackal or Coyote, you know, in in, mm-hmm. in a different way. But you know, a little. Well, anyway, I'll let you tell the story, but that's. That's sort of what I heard a little of. No, I think you're right. He said it's sort of like a bit of a test, like trying to see whether Vikram is sort of worthy of his help and tricking him and having a bit of fun and annoying him. I mean, 25 riddles, I probably would have been ready to just get out of there. Yeah, or a monkey in in, um, Chinese uh, lore. Mm. Mm -hmm. Or a Nazi or Jackal. Love those tricksters. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> Lots of them. There's a trickster everywhere. I mean, there really is. One day we'll have to figure out why there's always a trickster, but uh, for another story. Makes things interesting. So yes. So Vikram and his Vatella. Uh, by the way, how's Vatella spelled? Is it V A T E L A? V E T A L A. Okay, close. Vatella. Yeah. Cool. I'm not entirely sure what the etymology of that is. Well, it doesn't matter because uh, I'm spelling it in English, and it you know obviously started with in a different Sanskrit, I guess, uh, but, mm. but whatever it is, you know, our translation is just phonetics anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. So they're busy journeying back and the Vitala is telling Vikram now about his life, his life story, even though he's not really alive. <laughs> <laughs> this is where it gets really weird because the Vitala talks about his parents. Now that's something that's very, strange to me because this is a freaking demon or whatever but anyway his parents were struggling to conceive and they went to the same sorcerer who's now asked Vikram to capture them to capture the Vitala and the sorcerer blessed the parents and granted them twin sons so that would be the Vitala and his brother I suppose um, in exchange for allowing the sorcerer to educate uh, the sons himself so during the education the Vitala um, was taught everything in the world, but was treated very badly. While his twin brother was taught only what he needed and treated well. 
um, I find it quite interesting that there always there's always a duo in a lot of these mythologies. Yes, there are. Uh, sort of like the whole what's it, like a favored son versus the one that's neglected. Yeah, well, it's better than the baby that's left in the woods, or you know, to or or put put in you know a, a bed of reeds and you know push down a river. This will work out. <laughs> It'll be fine. Live yeah. your life. <laughs> yeah. um, what could go wrong? Yes. Anyway, um, the Patala found out that the sorcerer was actually planning to return his twin brother to the parents, but was going to sacrifice him because he was an all-knowing Kubara. Um, now, I'm not entirely sure, but I'm assuming Kumara is a reference to the four Kumaras, which are the four sages from the Puranic texts in Indian religion. Somebody probably knows this a lot better than I do. Um, so the four Kumaras, um, Sanaka Kumara, Sanatana Kumara, Sam- Sanandana Kumara, and Sanat Kumara, they're all sons of the god Brahma, uh, the creator god, who you know, wandered the earth and was teaching others, basically. So this is obviously... Basically, the Vitala is like this very, very uh, wise sage in a way because he was taught everything. And so if he were to be sacrificed by the sorcerer, the sorcerer would become immortal and possess the power to rule the world, essentially. Well, who doesn't want that? Um, So then Vitala goes on to explain that what the sorcerer is now trying to do is he's actually going to sacrifice Vikram. He's going to make him bow before a goddess, a statue of a goddess, and then behead him. And this would then give him power to take over the Vitala and go on with his plan of world domination. So the Vitala tells the king that he needs to um, behead the sorcerer instead. And Vikram does this and um, basically it's a very big happy story and he gets Vikram gets blessed by Lord Indra and uh, Kali Devi um, to a god and goddess and um, the Vitala grants Vikram two wishes. One that the sorcerer's soul is redeemed and he's allowed to be reborn as a good person or uh, basically cleansed and allowed to move on and that the Vitala will return if Vikram needs him again. So it's almost like a genie sort of deal that ends up happening. So Vikram gets to rule. He, he gets he can call upon the Vitala if he needs to and mm. he can get the sorcerer too but he can get a good sorcerer so this is this is all worked out very well for Vikram. Yeah, yeah which is interesting because I mean I'm not sure, like, where in there you get this whole malicious um, Vitala story. So that's obviously come from a different source that we don't seem to have anymore. Yeah, this this is way too happy, much too happy an ending. Let's go something more terrible. (laughs) I mean, there was a beheading, but that's not it. Oh, yeah, but just one. Oh, yeah. Um, So the the next creature is called a boot. Well, I'm not sure that's how you pronounce it. It's B-H-O-O-T. No one's going to correct you. <laughs> um, and this is also from Indian myth. This is, this is probably also the entire Indian subcontinent, but apparently the belief in ghosts, which is what a boot is, was particularly um, prevalent in Bangladesh, uh, Bhutan, and as well as India. So that's, um, I'm not entirely sure why it was so... They're just very superstitious, I think. Okay. So these um, ghosts... Maybe the were, howling winds in the high mountains? I think so, yeah. There's there's a there's apparently quite a collection of haunt, supposedly haunted areas in, in India and Bangladesh, um, like uh, cremation grounds. You can see dilapidated buildings that are thought to be 
grounds for us, the spirits, um, or burning ghats, uh, the steps leading down to uh, a river, but sometimes we unflame, they'd be on fire. And nobody knew why, so they would think that it's because of a spirit that set the water on fire, essentially. Oh. Uh, was it a volcano? Just... No. I, I'm assuming there was something to do with an oil, some sort of oil that must have been oh, okay. sitting on the top. But then dust flame. That's the only explanation aside from the supernatural explanation. Greek fire. Yeah, basically. Um, so these boots are restless spirits, and this is because they usually have died a very, very violent death. So if somebody murdered them or massacred, that sort of thing. Supernatural sort of chopped their head off with a garage, electric garage door. Do you remember that Supernatural episode? Uh, that was great. Okay. So here's where you're going to hate me. I, oh, no, you don't watch it. <laughs> I saw one episode of Supernatural and said, yeah, that's enough. Yeah. It's not great after the first season. Yeah. Well, I, I got to the, the, the girl uh, being splattered on the, the ceiling. I'm like, is that the best they got? Uh, I think I might have <laughs> watched part of the second episode and found it very unsatisfying decided I'm too old for this this is not for me mm. I'm an old Sometimes man you, I'm an old man <laughs> and your t-shirt is I'm very I'm exactly I'm wearing my grumpy <laughs> old man t-shirt yes of course um yeah no my my uh my horror needs to be needs to have more levels to it it's it's I'm, I'm very persnickety I'm a bit of a horror snob I love it we need to have a separate episode where we just that grant about horror no problem because I've, I've got I've done That's that with so others easy. as well. I've done that with uh, the great Kevin Castle, who you probably know, and also also uh, Vincent, who is a, a professional wrestler currently working with Impact Wrestling. But uh, mm. uh, yeah, so I, I've talked uh, horror before, but yeah, I'm yeah, I'm a bit of a horror snob, um, which, which means I hate most of it. But what I what I like, I really like. And the good thing about me is is, is that like while most people like more things than I do, if there's something that I like. Generally speaking, ninety nine percent of people are going to like it because it is truly good. That you know, so I, I do have good taste. It's just limited. Yeah, no, no. I, you get really, really good horror, and then a lot of it is sort of yeah, you know, it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's nothing special, and some of it is just plain ridiculous and stupid. But I also laugh at inappropriate things like during Halloween and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like. You know, the, the violence was so silly that, like, you know, the good violence made me laugh, but you're not supposed to laugh at that. Or in Midsommar, yeah. when she finally revealed that she was evil and she's burning her friend in a, in a bear suit, uh, I, I thought that was excellent. I'm cheering. And the rest of the people in the theater are like, the hell's wrong with you, man? <laughs> like, Midsommar was great. I was like, this is obviously her catharsis. Like, this is, this is great. Right. Yeah, okay, they died, but it was for good for her soul. Right, to turn evil. And then I, I don't know. Everyone's, yeah. everyone's going, what the hell's wrong with you? I'm like, that's a very fair question. I don't know. We're <laughs> <laughs> just too deep, okay? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've got a, I've got a, a Vitella in me. What, what do you want? <laughs> uh, sorry, I took us down a whole tangent. That's, uh, meanderings is what we do in the Garden of Doom. We can go up, we can down, we can go into the hollow earth, we can go into other dimensions. <laughs> so it's, it's all good. Our roots go deep, our Bows go wide and high. Don't feel. Don't worry. And there's swamplands and don't worry. It, the Garden of Doom is like one of those magic kingdoms that that knows no boundaries. Love it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So particularly violent death or the classic 
there's some matter that hasn't been resolved before they've died, or if they haven't been given the correct funeral arrangements or rituals and stuff like that. Now, that is classic because there's uh, ghost stories from around the world. Most of them do involve some being that has some type of unfinished business, uh, which isn't always revenge, but oftentimes is revenge. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to stick around because you forgot to take the muffins out of the oven or something like that. No, that's not going to do it. It's, it's, it's not going to be about yeah, muffins. Yeah. Unless, of course, you're the ghost of the muffin man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. um, right, so, uh, the supernatural. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do I recover from the muffin man? <laughs> yeah, so, we, this is only our second time meeting, so, so she's not used to me. So, it's... <laughs> It, it, it takes a spe- it takes a special kind of someone to jump right in and to be able to uh, roll with it. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, uh, boot comes from a Sanskrit word, buta, which uh, relates to past and being. So, obviously, it's just ghosts of the past. And it's, it's just boring. But um, it's really I I love etymology and I love lexicon and stuff like that. So I was, was I was particularly interested in the fact that the word has also been adopted into idioms. So uh, like one idiom is butsawar hona, uh, so that means written by the boot of something, which essentially means taking an obsessive interest in that thing or work unrelentingly towards a goal. Uh, which which is interesting that they're taking what is essentially a demonic spirit and using it in. In a quite a good way, I mean, basically saying you're ambitious. You have to harness the resources that you have. I have what is probably a foolish question, but <laughs> we it's all no we all know that in British English, boot means mm. trunk, like a trunk to a car. Um, mm. And what's that? All the boots that you wear. Or the boots that you wear. But, uh, you know, yeah, typically we hear go go in the boot and they're talking about the trunk to a car. So I am wondering that during the colonial period where the British were in India, did the Indians oftentimes sort of, you know, have an unknown joke unknown to the British when they said, put this in the boot? He's like, yeah, I'll put that in the boot for you or I'll get a boot for you. You know, actually, they're complying, but in their minds, they're thinking, I'm going to get a ghost on you. I would love that, but did the word boot exist in that time in that sort of reference? I don't know. I, I'm assuming the British English hasn't changed that much in the last, you know, couple hundred years. But you're right. I, I don't. I don't really know that. All right. Well, there, there goes that. And I'll just take this moment. I mean, <laughs> That'd be hilarious, I think anybody who listens to Garden Doom and, and I'm sure Asian Tapestry probably both realize that. But just for the sake, a lot of people think Sanskrit is a Middle Eastern or Arabic or ancient Hebrew language. It is not. It is an Indian language uh, from the Indus Valley that it's made its way. You know, there weren't a lot of written languages, so it's made its way, you know, uh, further west, of course, and probably east is too. Um, but it is, it is an ancient Indian language. So the um that you often see, which sort of looks like that backwards three or E with almost like a Hebrew chai. Um, I have one tattooed on my back. That's Sanskrit. Okay, yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I I can I know I, it's understandable that people sometimes can mix it up. They're all related. I mean, Sanskrit's close cousin is ancient Greek, for example. So it's really it all overlaps a lot. So I know we've talked about linguistics on this show, and we're going to get some experts to actually explain 
how the Indo-European uh, linguistics family are from one family. I have a feeling somewhere in that story in the origin, that's sort of where we find some of our why there's so many so much overlap uh, in, in so many parts of the world with myths and legends and why certain things grow and don't grow. But doesn't matter. This is not time for Jeff's series right now. I've got lots of them, but um, that's that's my working theory these days. But yeah, so back back to the boot. So the boot uh, is a ghost with unfinished business or a spirit with unfinished business. We need not call it a ghost. We'll call it a boot. Um, and uh, just in case it takes it personally. And and so what does what how can the boot manifest its will upon the living and corporeal world? So. Uh the boot that seems to not necessarily have to possess somebody um, it, in its own form, it can take both human and animal forms. And when it's human, supposedly looking like human, their feet are like always backwards. Oh. And that's how you can see, okay, this is not a normal human. Um, they don't walk backwards, but basically their feet are rotated. Sometimes it's their arms, sometimes something is basically wrong. Something is odd with them. Um, and they also sort of hover a little bit off the ground. So also, again, classic ghost uh, trait. But this is because the ground um, in sort of Hindu mythology is sacred. And so the boot can't touch it because, you know, it's sort of like putting a demon in charge. It all burnt it. Um, it also has no shadow. So that's another way to, to check with weird what you're dealing with. And interestingly enough, it speaks with a nasal accent, and that is a very specific trait that I find very interesting in why. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so if you see an animal or person with backwards limbs hovering just uh, a couple inches above the ground, but speaking like Jerry Seinfeld, exactly. that, that is the, that you, you know that you're in trouble. Now, can you outrun a boot or is, is, is resistance futile? Um, seems like basically often you wouldn't be able to know that it's a ghost until I suppose you recognize these features. So one of the things it does is that it often wanders around a forest and it, it finds people who are walking by themselves and joins them as a companion uh-huh. and slowly integrates, integrates into their life. Or it takes the form of a very attractive woman by the roadside and a man by himself is driving in the car and sees her and offers her if she wants a ride. And slowly, slowly, they eventually realize what this actually is, but by then it's too late. Okay, so I imagine they use the dark so that the, so that it's sort of covered, that they're not exactly touching the ground. The backwards foot thing, how do you cover that up? I mean, by giant boots, uh, a very long, blousey <laughs> dress? Um, I'm going to say long, they, they usually wear white clothes. I'm going to say a long white dress. And if you're a very attractive woman, maybe they're going on that. Maybe they're thinking that they're too distracting for some people. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends uh, who's around. It's like, hmm. oh, well, hi. Top, top, top part looks like Padma Lashmi, but uh, the, the feet are backwards. But the rest of it still is Padma Lashmi. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a win. I'll take that. <laughs> I, I've, I've done worse with women with, with regular feet. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, not from experience, but uh, okay. So, yeah, I, I could I could see where the trap can be set. I also imagine that uh, maybe they have some. Do they have any sort of enchanting spells that maybe you couldn't see it, or it's just they they rely on their um, you know they sort of insinuate themselves into the crowd. People are looking 
up instead of down at the, the feet. Uh, maybe the blousey dresses they are covering up and, and they pray. So how do they kill? Do they bite? Do they strangle? Do they hit? Do they have to use a club? Do they do they have enormous strength? I'm not entirely sure how they would kill them. Essentially, they they lure usually young men to them and then kill them. So I'm. It's like a I'm wraith, sure, like, how, like one of those Harry Potter yeah, like, things. They just say, suck out your soul. I, that's what I'm imagining. I'm imagining that uh, sort of like a harpy, you know, sort of being all alluring and then bring them into this darkest corner of the forest and then like a succubus. And just what they really are. Suck their soul out of their mouths. Okay. All right. That works. I like that idea. I like that yeah. idea also. And that will give them more strength so they keep getting stronger and stronger. All right. Yeah. It, it, it's weird. There's, there's lots of myths around the world with creatures with their feet backwards and uh, mm. I don't know what that means exactly. Um, but... I have a theory. Okay, let's hear it. I have a theory. Because I know that I, uh, there's a creature in Africa, and I don't know whether it's the Asanga song, which is like a vampiric creature. I think its feet are also backwards. Yeah, there's, also, be there's also at least one in South America, and my understanding is they walk in a way so that because the feet are backwards, you think that you're tracking them, but they're actually tracking you, or they're, you know, walking. You know, you think you're sneaking up on them, but you're you're not. So that you're you're unaware. You're you're you know looking down while they're you know behind the tree. They've already you know they're they're behind you or something. You think they're in front of you, but they're behind you, kind of thing. Yeah, I don't. I'm pretty sure I'd like gotten this idea from somewhere, but I honestly don't ask me where. Um, but I'm thinking that their feet are actually pointed backwards towards death. And they they're forcing themselves forward into the living world, whereas their feet are pointing back to where they actually belong. Oh, that's, which I guess is a little that is deeper. That that that, that, that <laughs> is deeper than they sort of uh, are just uh, tricking you with the footprints being and you know taking you off in the wrong direction. Let's see the way. I mean, where yeah. the foot feet? Are, yeah, uh, yeah. You, I mean, Marylanders, are you eligible for both Medicare and Medicaid? If so, you may qualify for CareFirst Blue Cross Blue Shield Advantage Dual Prime benefits. Learn more at carefirstdsnp.com or call 877-200-3929 to learn more. CareFirst Blue Cross Blue Shield Medicare Advantage is an HMO SNP plan with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in CareFirst Blue Cross Blue Shield Medicare Advantage depends on contract renewal. In some ways, the my you know the stories I heard don't really make sense because the feet are going forwards. I mean, and they're actually walking backwards. I mean, you're actually going further away from from the creature than towards it, right? I mean, so unless they unless they are circling around in in a different direction, um, you know, or they you know mass their tracks to get behind you. I mean, what? If you follow the feet in the forward direction, they're still their feet are backwards. You're still walking in the other direction. It's more of an escape mechanism than a, a trap. Though. I mean, you could use it either way, but if you just go with the, the stories I heard, it doesn't quite make sense. So yours, yours is better that they push themselves out of death, uh, and they they sort of. I mean, I don't know if this was on purpose, but in the movie Malevolent, which was another one that I thought was terrible, I laughed at when I'm not supposed to laugh. Uh, but uh, you know, basically the. Limbs were all backwards, mostly because the demon part of the soul, you know, occupied the 
back quarters of her body, I suppose. Uh, it was, was, was sort of what was happening there. And anyway, need not talk about malevolent, but, um, all right. So we've got our, we've got our boot. We have our backwards feet situation. Um, all right. Who, who's next on our tour? Um, it's Oko. Yeah. White tigers. Oh, white tigers. This is good. No, wear tigers. Wear tigers, even better. <laughs> so this is because I really enjoyed the wear hyena story. Sure. Um, so I wanted to know what India has. So we have wear tigers, and this is this is like interesting stuff for me because it's actually quite detailed. There's people that have done actual research papers on this, which I've read. Okay. So I feel like I did a lot of research. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm going to listen to you, and I'm going to pretend I did the research. So there we go. <laughs> So this, and here I have actually specific people. This belief actually originates with the Garos people of India, which is a Tibeto-Burman-speaking ethnic group of northeastern um, India. They're sort of uh, cousin groups of the Naga and the uh, Kukijan tribes. And this is in the western highlands of um, Meghalaya and the southern foothills of Assam and northern Bangladesh. Uh, don't ask me to point this out on a map because I wouldn't be able to. But um, Fair enough. So essentially, as the name says, these are humans who could turn themselves into tigers. Um, but as I'll talk about later, is that there's actually a few different kinds of um, ways that they could do this. Um, the Garus people, judging briefly on that, they're quite interesting in that um, the women in the community were held in high esteem. So they had a high status. There was a matrilineal system um, with succession passing from mother to daughter, which I found a bit unusual given the status quo in Indian culture. Um, and also Hinduism is the pub, is the prominent like uh, religion in India, but 95% of the Garas are actually Christian, which, yeah, interesting. This is interesting. Um, that is interesting. I wonder if there's any connection with the were tiger and other were creatures being sort of in what is now Christian areas. I, I don't know the origin mm -hmm. of the, the where anything it could well predate Christianity for all I know. Probably does, and then everything sort of, I mean, then you get the werehina and the tiger, the werewolf, and it's all sort of spread across the, across the world. I did have a guest recently, and this, uh, and this show dropped, uh, probably in mid-August, uh, Maria Wheatley, and one of the things she talked about were the, the demon dogs, the black dogs that guarded the tombs of important people. Uh, and, mm. and I asked if there was any connection to the werewolf there, and she said yes, and this, this was this was predated Christianity. This was, uh, you know, sort of the Druids, the, the you know, the, whatever it was it was BCE. It was you know forty five hundred years ago or older. Um, you know, the Barrow Lands, and so uh, the, there's not necessarily a connection to the origin of the Were Tigers, not. But at least in that one case, the the age was older. But I mean, it wasn't exactly a werewolf. It was just sort of my projection of what you know how how you know. Guarding the tomb of an important person are these demon dogs can, you know, can, mm. you know, and they can, and it's, there was something cyclical involved could be transmuted into, a, a, you know, the person turned into a werewolf. Mm -hmm. the, yeah, I'd say the interesting thing, uh, we can talk more about this after, uh, after I go through these uh, creatures, is that it's actually, I found it very difficult to find a macabre or I guess traditionally demonic uh, beings in, in Indian culture. And I don't know whether it's to do with the reverence that they hold for a lot of their uh, religion and their belief. I mean, as you can see, they, 
like even though they say these creatures can be malevolent, a lot of the stories are actually where they're helping people or they're being made to help uh, people, which is, I guess, just says something about the culture. Well, yeah, that's well. See, that's nice. See, you're you're, you're trying to be nice, but we're in doom. So, you know, you know, doom backwards is mood, and you're killing the mood. So let's let's get let's let's let's, let's get some let's get some were tiger violence going right. on here. Let's go back. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the Garus people have always had a bit of a interesting relationship with the local tiger population, in that they usually leave them alone unless the tiger attacks them, in which case they hunt them down and eat them. Um, and there was a local oral story that was told, and it involves a Garo king from a long time ago called Rai Singh, and he could apparently turn himself into a tiger and then back into a human. Now, where tigers were thought to eat human flesh, Good. obviously in their tiger form, um, and it's interesting because it's also the same belief in southern China, uh, where the tigers also uh, eat people, but they actually... The wet tigers actually suck blood instead of eating the flesh. Excellent. So you're getting into weird vampiric territory there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's about three types of um, wet tigers in Garas legends. Uh, the first are the machados, who are shape-shifting men, and they're they're very aggressive, um, very aggressive types of wet tigers. And uh, we get most of our uh, beliefs from. Um, Colonial writing. So during the British uh, colonization of, of Bengal, um, we have basically people, English scholars, writing down the or oral stories of the Garas people. So in the early 18th century, we have um, J. Elliot, a British magistrate, and he spent some time among the Garas and documented this, this uh, story. And a lot of the locals claimed that there was a medicine that you could put on your forehead and that turned you into a tiger. And so during their transformation, they would tear off their clothes and their earrings and rip their ears you know, into bloody bits in the process and tear their hair out. Very much of the werewolf sort of transformation that you often see in movies. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, Elliot actually got hold of some of this supposed medicine and he tried it out on himself, which I thought was stellar, um, and reported no such effects. Uh. That, you know, nothing happened. And he thinks that the medicine eventually goes off, basically sours on their forehead and there's toxic fumes that then make them hallucinate all of this. Or he returned home, used it, and he was Jack the Ripper. Oh my god. And he does not remember it. Well, maybe he does. Maybe he just doesn't want anyone to, to tie the put the dots together. Now, I don't know if the timeline works out, but if it's... Mm-hmm. What was Jack the Ripper? Like the 1890s, something like that? It checks out. Okay. Yeah, so. All right. Well, I'm going with that oh, one. Did, did it actually work? I and he went, yeah. Yeah. okay, good. All right. Look at that. We, we've solved the mystery and we've preserved the were tiger. Let me ask a question about the were tigers. Do you actually mm-hmm. take the form of a tiger or do you take the form of a, a humanoid tiger? And if a tiger, is it like an oversized tiger or just like a regular tiger? Which is terrifying enough. But. Yeah. Uh, I would say that this, this version, uh, this uh, Machados, who are shape shifting into directly into a tiger i'm going to say those are human sized tigers uh that are very very aggressive um there's another type that is uh the macho hang on macho pogipas <laughs> and they actually basically they are asleep and they dream that they are a tiger and what happens there is that their human soul leaves their body enters the tiger's body and joins their souls joined together 
Mm. And uh, that I think is just a normal sized normal tiger. With I don't think it's any more aggressive. So I'm going to say, yeah, I think the Machados are probably huge tigers. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. All right, well, good. Well they, well, they rip and kill, and then there's a lot of violence there, so we're happy. Um, a little bit like Hulk, you know? Yeah. Kind of, kind of like that. I mean, it definitely seems to be something that they're deliberately doing, so that's just very aggressive people. Well, I'm more like She-Hulk then. Um, <laughs> but... Oh, very cool. We got the we got the were tigers, which I think are pretty awesome. I mean, if I was going to choose between a werewolf and a were tiger, I'm taking a were tiger every time. Yeah, although I think I'm going to take the were hyena. I found that pretty found that pretty cool. I don't know. Um, so the, the there's a separate sort of subsection of the machados, and that's the machamarus, and. So we have a little bit of a technical freeze. The Wi-Fi went down on my side of the equation. Where we left off um, was that she was going to tell us about a particular subset of the were tiger. So if there's a little bit of overlap or something duplicate, that's the reason why. It is not the guest's fault. It was my Wi-Fi's fault, which is probably because of the ridiculous heat here and rolling brownouts that they don't quite exactly tell us about. Uh, no, it's all right. I'm from South Africa and having load shedding. I am all too familiar with Wi-Fi well, I'm a, I'm a spoiled American from a, a East Coast suburban city, and I don't expect these things to happen. Gosh darn it! So I, I'm, I'm I'm obviously outraged. But anyway, all it resolved itself after a few minutes, and here we are. So back to the were tigers and the particular subset of the were tigers, which I hope are especially terrifying. Well, I think you can, yeah, I'm. Just sorry to disappoint with the with the Indian culture. It's gonna get really scary with the African. I, I promise you. Oh. <laughs> so the uh, subset is is a matcha marus, and these are thought to be more like evil spirits or demons rather than people who can take the appearance of a tiger. And they usually appear in human form during the day, so they can integrate themselves, and then they become tigers at nightfall. And that's when they go out and they slaughter humans and goats and cows and basically anything that they can get their claws on, um, usually hunting in a group or by themselves. Um, and they're, they're actually considered a, a group of people by the Gars, and they were thought to be cannibals who lived in villages deep in the forest. So I, I found it very interesting because I was wondering, maybe these were actual people who were cannibalistic, and so... The guards just thought of them as these ferocious tiger beasts. Yeah, perhaps they uh, put tiger pelts, you know, over their heads with the claws, you know, whatever, uh, and the, the head over their head. So, you know, and maybe they painted themselves in, you know, war paints that were yellow and, I'm sorry, orange and black, and maybe they did that on purpose to terrorize. But yeah, your, your cannibal theory checks out, because if they're tigers, they're not cannibals unless they're eating other tigers. Mm. Although I suppose they eat other humans, so that's what the thinking was. Right. Now, um, if they were tigers, I guess you know they, they, it's yeah. like Schrodinger's cat. They exist in both worlds. They're sort of cannibals, <laughs> sort of not. Uh, you know, it, in the, in in our jurisprudence, it might be reasonable doubt whether they're cannibals or not. But, <laughs> but anyway, getting legal on me. <laughs> that, that's right. I'll stop. Sorry. Um, I, I can't turn off all parts of me. Objections. That's right. It, it sustains. Uh, <laughs> counselor, you're held in contempt. This is this, this, bailiff will take me out. So, all right. So, all right. So, off to the uh, off the were tigers. We're going to get to something else. And 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 you're right. The, the, you know, in, in, 
the the Indian stuff in the in the subcontinent doesn't sound so terrifying. Before we move on, I want to see if I have the geography even close to right. So obviously, we all know India is you know basically like a smaller version, sort of a South America shape wise, except in in you know sort of in the middle of Asia between the Arabian and the Sea and the Indian Ocean. Um, on its, I think on its northeast side is uh, Bengal, um, and I think on its northwest side is Bangladesh and Pakistan. Yeah, I think you're right about Okay, because wasn't wasn't Bangladesh at some point East Pakistan? Like there was a civil war after the partition. I think you. I think you're correct. If my okay. my history knowledge now checks you- up. Now, you said that you spoke Tamil, and from my last guest, they said Tamil was a language from the South. Uh, and the only reason I know the word Tamil is because there was a group called the Tamil Tigers. Uh, I believe I believe they operated in Sri Lanka. Is Sri Lanka to the South, or is that they just took the name? Uh, uh, Sri Lanka. Uh, not, yeah, Sri Lanka is to the South of India, as far as I understand. Yeah, isn't it India, then Sri Lanka, yeah. Then... Um, then it makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, so I think that would be you know migration. The Tamil people would have the Tamil people are basically um, South India and uh, they're characterized with their darker skins and they're apparently not as pretty as the Northern Indians. But I don't want to start a war, so we'll leave yeah, it at that. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> that's all subjective. So I mean, you know. Um, anyway, we don't need to get into pretty. We just we just know that who uh, are the, the 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 boots can. Uh, can be pretty to whoever their victim is. Uh, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's all we need to know here. Um, okay. So my geography is about right, or, or at least it sounds like, at least you're, you know, verifying that it might be, we're not confirming it. We just, we, we both. No, think I think, it. I think, I think that's true. Yeah. Because, but, um, because Bengal sort of goes into Bhutan and then <laughs> you get into Nepal and Tibet and China <laughs> and, you know, all that, uh, you know, the Himalayas sort of, uh, Okay, so, all right, so before I rudely interrupted you with my geography lesson, uh, or confirming my geography beliefs, um, you, you were going to, you were going to, you were leading us into something involving Tamils. Uh, I was? Uh, maybe not. Uh, no, I think I was, uh, no, I was talking about the, um, uh, these basically cannibalistic, uh, machados. Right. Um. And I think this is where the idea of them being so these precious beasts—they were apparently they had thick hair covering their hirsute bodies, very very strong dark complexion, and they had a sort of apparently odd nervous gait, which I think is probably like a tiger lope. So they were probably loping as they walked, mm-hmm. um, and had a very growly voice as a human. And that these guys were savage and cruel and devious, and they would—they uh, were thought to be quick and silent killers, because what they would do is that they would follow their victims for a long time and wait for a weak point and leap into attack and basically tear their bodies apart. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think the idea came from um, the so-called headhunters of the Garas people, which was back in 1876, I think. And the Garas were known as headhunters, and they would do the same thing. They would stealthily go through the forest and raid and... Uh, brutally attacked their attacked their neighbors basically um so we have our uh our knowledge of these were tigers from uh, a set of oral tales called uh, katagana 
um, which also speaks of a magical method uh, that the Machadas use to transform themselves. Um, but we will never know this method because it's apparently a closely held secret. And if anybody were to tell uh, what the method is, they would be instantly killed. Um, which, you know, fair enough. And people still believe that there is a group of Machados who still actually live nearby the current Gara community. Sure. Now, do they live in villages? Do they live in caves? Do they just live in the jungle, sort of, uh, you know, freestyle? And I think, yeah, if we're going to follow the history, then I think they're living deep in the forest, essentially. Uh, which I suppose makes sense if, if it's only suspicion that they exist. There's probably a few people loitering around in, in the forest that you come across and you think, oh, this is probably a white tiger waiting to kill me. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yes, that'll do it every time. Uh, yeah, exactly. Now, this the I, I can't help but think about the sort of the beginning of the Jungle Book with uh, Kipling. Mm. Uh, obviously, the tiger is... Uh, you know, probably the apex predator, probably in the world, but certainly you know in India as well. Um, so for a while, I, I imagine humans and and tigers struggled and probably still do to a lesser extent. So uh, obviously, the tiger makes sense as being a sort of a central villain, uh, you know, out there. Um, so that's one of my little my little thoughts and uh, probably pretty obvious observation there. No, well, it's actually really interesting because that definitely was a, a serious problem, them trying to live uh, with tigers on tour. I suppose they, we developed more modern ways of you know, weaponry and stuff and ended up destroying the environment, and so we lost a lot of tigers. But there's actually been a um, surge in the tiger population in India uh, because of conservation efforts, and that's actually led to an increase in uh, tigers killing humans. So it's interesting to see that that, uh, <laughs> that balance is being shifted again. Only now we're in favor of the tigers. Well, unless you are in that particular band of humans. or <laughs> Until that human is, is you or your sister yeah. or your mom, assuming you're like your sister or your mom or your brother or your father or your baby or whatever. Um, exactly. So that, that, but I'm not going to get too into that. I mean, you know, we can probably talk for days as to whether or not there's enough or too many humans on earth compared to, you know, everything else, uh, you know, and, and what is or isn't somebody's plan. And if there is somebody's plan, then and believe me, Garden of Doom gets into all those things uh, in, in various ways, but, but not, not today, Satan, not today. <laughs> so, all right. So I guess we're moving off of the were tiger. So who's, who's next on our parade of, of getting more terrifying. Yeah, um, getting more terrifying. No, it doesn't have to well, be good. Maybe, maybe, you know, the were-tigers are pretty terrifying. The, the next one doesn't need to be. It's, I mean, yeah, the were-tigers are mostly interesting in, in the ways that they can, uh, they can change. Um, those, you know, they can, there's another theory that they can be sprinkled with enchanted water or there's magical clothes that they basically get put on and then, boom, they turn into a tiger. Well, you can't just dance over magical water. I mean, where, where, where would one find magical water? From the Vamachari, of course, from a sorcerer. Oh. Get the water enchanted and then do a mantra for Narasamaya and while you're naked in the moonlight and boom. Oh, that's it. Okay. <laughs> there you, you go. Try it. You basically just uh, pray to Vishnu and you'll be all good. 
Okay. All right. Got it. Check. <laughs> on my list, pray to Vishnu. Put that on your to-do list. <laughs> That's right. Get, get sprinkle dust to make me wear tiger. Perfect. That, yeah. yeah. Also, be careful of what you drink. Don't to check out the milk, your milk, before you drink it, because the bird can also enter the milk and then will possess you. I forgot to talk about that. <sighs> Lord, there's always a catch. I'm, <laughs> I might need to assemble a little bit of a team, but but there will be wear tigering in my future. That that. <laughs> That, that's that's my new purpose in life. Yeah, and if you dream about being a tiger, then you've developed a connection. Mm-hmm. No comment. <laughs> I, I can neither confirm nor deny any dreams about tiger connections. Very loyal of you. Just just know that every now and then my dreams are the musical score does come from Survivor, famous for "Eye of the Tiger." <laughs> So the uh, last and um, quite short uh, being that I was looking at is actually more global than just being in India, and we don't actually have a main Indian source text for it, and it's the monopod. Have you heard of It's encrypted, essentially. The monopod? No, but I'm guessing it has one leg. Good job. <laughs> go, sit, go to the front of the class. You got this. All right. Excellent. <laughs> so it hops around, uh, you know, I guess like Hubert. Yeah. It literally leaps around, yeah. And uh, the Greeks decided to talk about this creature when they went to India. Uh, we've got a Greek physician called Catesius, who wrote a text called the Indica, India, um, in the 5th century BC. And this is the first text, Greek te- text rather, uh, that speaks about India. And he um, talks about, amongst other things, he talks about uh, the idea of a unicorn, which we think is probably basically a donkey with a small protrusion in he made that into unicorn. Um, talks about falconry because that wasn't a thing in Europe yet. Um, talking parrots, all sorts of things. And he talks about the monopod, which, as he says, only one leg. They leap really high with surprising agility. And weirdly, uh, they lie on their back during they lie on their backs during the hot months, and they lift up their foot in front of themselves because their foot is so huge, and they use it to shade themselves like a big umbrella, okay. which is. I hope they have a lot of sunscreen for the bottom of their foot then. <laughs> I imagine it's just black. Um, you know, or is it like like a hobbit foot that it's basically so leathery and tough that it, you know, it, it's not afraid of the sun. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. I ain't afraid of no sun. So the monopod, besides its one foot, what, what other descriptors would there be other than the one leg? How would you tell there's between the monopod and an amputee? So I think there's going to be no evidence of there ever being another leg, which mm-hmm. is pretty easy to see with the amputee. And from from this, uh, I don't know what would be the politically correct term. So I'm, eh, I don't think this is a politically. Yeah. I don't think I have to worry about that on this on the podcast. Uh, they appear to be very short, almost sort of dwarf like beings. Okay. We, I mean, we yeah. understand yeah. that the, the mythological creatures or monsters may take on forms. But, you know, we don't want yeah. to offend anyone, but but in the description of a, of a being that may be fictional, we can use dwarf-like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, this tiny thing that basically leaps, leaps up and down. And uh, some people, uh, Philostratus, another uh, Greek sophist, he thought that they existed in India and Ethiopia, so I thought this was a nice sort of nice sort of concept to start going into by the legendary Africa <laughs> section. Yeah. Um, 
And it's, it's interesting, India and Ethiopia, because I don't see how that would have carried over. But well, anyway. I, I can, um, and that's because Axum, uh, A-X-U-M, the Axumites, were, were Ethiopians. And uh, during the, uh, you know, pre-Roman era, which was, and the Roman era, which was sort of when the Greeks were sort of feeling their oats. I mean, Alexander the Great was pre-Roman. Uh, the Axumites were one of the premier uh, powers in the world in trading. And they traded as far and wide as, as India and even further. So that could be it right there, the, the, you know, the Axumite Empire. And, and it wasn't just the city of Axum. There were other uh, tributary cities as well. So that it, it could be as simple as that. But I want to get back to the to our monopod friend. I mean, does he or she? I mean, first of all, do they have gender? Um, unclear. Uh, the I believe that the Norse actually accounted what they thought was a monopod, which I find very interesting, and they described it as a man. Okay. Uh, did they have? Do they have two arms and a head, or are they sort of like a the, the new shmoo, or like a you know sort of a well, a minion. <laughs> yeah, like a minion, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like it was just it was a normal person aside from the one leg. Although I was also hoping that it was going to be a one-eyed creature, but sadly yeah. not. Yeah, me too. A, a cyclops, or some fancy would say, a cyclopes. Um, mm. Did it? Did it? Did it have a particularly uh, uh, favored weapon or method of killing, or does it just jump and land on you with its giant strong foot and stomp you? <laughs> I would. Love that. Maybe he does that to children. Um, he is uh, in the saga of Eric the Red, uh, in Icelandic uh, saga. Yeah, Eric um, the Red. We're getting very way far from India there. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is, just, this is going everywhere. Um, he's described as shooting arrows at them. So clearly he has a bow and arrow and he manages to kill uh, one of the Norsemen. Yeah, well, um, obviously in his this- travels from India to uh, Iceland, he, he stopped by uh, the, the Scythians and the Iranics <laughs> and the Turks and the Mongols and then and, and got, you know, some bows and arrows. Bows and arrows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, he's on his own D&D campaign. I mean, obviously, I think it's just something that is similar to a monopod and all these cultures have different versions of the same thing, essentially. Uh, because we, as you actually were on the point, there's a Spanish scholar who also talks about them. Um, and he believes that they originated in Ethiopia, so it's just a hole. It's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, too bad there's not the giant stomp. Uh, you know what? If you know, if I was doing these things in ancient times, and I, and I always won't come up with these things, I think yeah. my methods of death would be much more fun and interesting. Definitely. You know what? I'll, I'll just write a story. I'll write the story for you. That's fine. Stomp a lot of pulp. Like think like when Quentin Tarantino. Uh, goes from movie form to cartoon form in the middle of like pulp fiction or whatever, and and like yeah. the blood just goes everywhere, just like it's like eyes popping out of the skull. That's right, you know, the, you know, full full pulp disaster, smush explosion kind of thing. All right, so our monopod. Uh, all right, well, you know, can be terrifying, but you know, uh, maybe, yeah. maybe maybe just yeah. gi- maybe just giving war veterans with PTSD a bad rap. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. As I said, the Indian law is very mild. Very mild. Very, now, very polite. Eat, so you're polite even polite even before the damn Brits came. Maybe, maybe that's why the Brits were able to, to 
take over a subcontinent with a, a billion people and it was like, you know. They were like, oh, hey, neighbors, please have a seat, take our food and enslave us. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers! <laughs> Good story. <laughs> yeah, oh. so no, it's not very scary. I've got some great stuff lined up for the African. Uh, Cheerio, we bloody well will. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was my version of a British accent. I, I apologize to everyone out there for the entire context Everyone's of this. Great. Yeah, the, the accent was terrible. The thought of it is terrible. I, I you know, the, I, I'm sure the history of it is way more complicated than that could ever possibly be. Um, <laughs> okay, I don't know how I, I don't, I don't know how to, to reverse and, and preserve myself from that. So maybe we should go. So okay, so Africa promises to be much more terrifying, which is awesome. Terror is good, um, and where else can people find you? Um, I can be found in the ether. No, um, my podcast. So I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Um, at the Agent Tapestry, um, and Legendary Africa. But you can find my podcast, The Agent Tapestry and Legendary Africa, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor. Basically, plug it into Google, and it'll probably pop up eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, leave a review. Leave a review for Jeff because he's awesome. Yeah, thank you for that. Was there? I, I think the the beginning you said there were some other things you want to chat about. Some things that were sort of like a sort of transcultural or something like that 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 uh, uh, lived in all of our worlds. Um, I don't know if I, if I could be misremember. Remember, I'm I'm very old and very forgetful. <laughs> You're not old. Uh, I think it was it was basically the the idea of the were tiger uh, that was something that I think you can find everywhere. And there's just so much of, there's just overlap everywhere, I think. And that, that I just find that very um, interesting, especially if you think about the, the mythology, the pantheon of the of Hindu mythology, you've got, um, you've got Vishnu, the head god, and he can be, and, 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 and Indra, and Indra is a god of uh, lightning, and that can be related to Zeus, and that can be related to uh, Thor. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's just interesting that I think it all comes from some kind of main idea and ideas that have just been adopted in different ways to different cultures. Um, and I don't know enough. I mean, this is actually why um, when we first started, I started Legendary Africa with my sister. Um, sorry, I'm going off into a little bit of background. No, that's, that's fine. <laughs> um, and we initially were we were just legendary and we wanted to talk about world myths and world law. Um, and... and which was really, really fun, but I realized I just, I don't, I'm not an expert on that. I'm not saying I'm an expert on African myth, but I just connected more with it because it's where I'm from. Um, but we found it because we found so many similarities from from uh, Irish folklore and, and African folklore. And so that's why I said, now look, I just want to focus on African law because that's what I know. There's so many other really amazing podcasts out there talking about European law. Um, and that's why I also started the Asian Tapestry subsequently, because that's also something that I I connect with with my heritage. Um, and yeah, but yeah. I'm glad you did. I think it makes sense to break them up individually because you could go more deep. You can go regionally. Then you can do the compare and contrast and all of that stuff. And, you know, I doubt you'll ever run out of stuff because both continents are huge. And, you know, Africa is where most of us believe that humanity started in any sort of modern form. 
uh, or well, actually pre-modern form as, as well. Um, and you know, uh, who, who knows when the legends and the myths and the lore started, uh, you know, we, we don't know what Homo erectus thought or even, you know, <laughs> what Homo habilis thought or whatever. I, uh, and you know, I'm probably getting my anthropology wrong there, but I know both those things came before Homo sapien and Homo <laughs> sapien sapien, which is, I think, sort of a made up term just to, you know, describe once, once there's, you know, some semblance of technology. I'm not even sure. Maybe it's not made up. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and no one's exactly sure where the Neanderthals and the, the Denisovans fit in. And there's, there's so many other uh, humanoids that have been confirmed. I mean, there's, there's two different kinds of basically hobbit people in, in uh, the South Pacific, and they're genetically distinct. Homo florensis, I believe, is one, and the other is another word, and there's Homo... Uh, Heidelbergus, I, 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 I'm sure I'm saying that these words wrong, but I, you know, Heidelberg is probably where, you know, they, they found the bones, which is, I guess is in Germany or maybe the guy who found it was named Heidelberg. I don't know. I don't want to get too much into anthropology because I really only know enough to be dangerous, as you can see. Um, but maybe the, the monopod was actually real then. It's just a different type of human. Yeah, I, listen, I, I'm open to all of that. I mean, you know, if depending on who you talk to, the Denisovans were giants or they were elves. Um, mm. You know, if you believe the descriptions of the Neanderthals, maybe they're what, you know, people thought were ogres or, mm. you know, or Bigfoots or whatever, or, or, or trolls or, you know, you make everything, you always make your villain or the other uh, bigger and scarier than it really is. So, mm. I mean, that, that that's just, uh, you know, Otherization is, you know, is sort of as old as humanity itself. I mean, he, you know, even you know, your two your two brothers, Cain and Abel, found a way to, you know, <laughs> you know, you are down to a person three and four, and you find a way to, to kill one. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, that pretty much says it all. <laughs> humanity <laughs> and their history of aggression. <laughs> right. Yes, and this is this this is where Garden of Doom. I mean, I you know, I feel like it's over overdue, but you're right. There's a lot of great podcasts out there, and I, I've had the fortune of. Uh, Meeting a lot of them and, and, and the community writ large is, is very, especially the independent podcasters are, mm. you know, very willing to work with each other. And like none of us are worried about losing our audiences to someone else or, no. you know, and things like that. It's you know, most of us do it because we love it, not because we think that we're going to get picked up by Gaia or uh, any other network. Uh. No, listen, I don't want to speak for Tashira, but I'm open. I'm sure she is. We're, you know, I, we're not dissing. We're not dissing the bigger podcasts. Right. We would, you know, or networks. We're just saying we're a community. Yeah, or the History Channel, or Discovery, Discovery Warner Brothers. I, I you know, I, you want some cheap content? Yeah. You know, relatively cheap. You know, uh, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, I feel like your content is more HBO, and mine's more like Disney. That's fine. No problem. You can absolutely. You can. I, I agree. You know, book to share for uh, for Disney, and you can put me on HBO Max or. <laughs> You put me wherever you want. Just don't put baby in the corner. No, you can even put me in the corner if you're paying me for it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, Employ us, please. Right. But we're not really supposed to be looking at the depths of my soul today. We're supposed to be looking at monsters and things. So, um, so we're going to talk again soon about legendary Africa and about some of the monsters of Africa. Again, if you want to. Where there will be scarier. I've got sex demons. Oh, I've, I've got huge snake cryptids that enter your 
body and do all sorts of shit to you. Oh, see, this is what this is. This is what we're talking about. This is this is great. So yeah, I will I will deliver. Yeah, you had me at sex demons. Um, (laughs) so all right, so this show is going to go all the way rated R next time, maybe maybe even beyond. Uh, we have, I have to put a warning on that one. Maybe maybe that one will curse. We can I'll put the explicit label on it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's all right. So you get a taste of of what that shares about. And so if you know that these are the scary stuff, and you want something that's kid friendly or just something that's going to help you relax and and expose you to other parts of the world, check out both of our podcasts. They're lovely. They really are. They they are lovely. They're very enjoyable. She's a, she's a very good story storyteller. Um, and for those of us in America or maybe other parts of the, the, the world, you know, the accent is very pleasant to me. <laughs> to you, it's just you. to you, it's just the way you speak. But you know, for here in America, I, I, I'm a native New Yorker, which is a pretty ugly accent. So you know, you know, so yours to me is like very, you know, it's almost sing-songy. You know, I mean, so <laughs> you know, for me, everything's perspective. But um, check out her podcast, and yes, absolutely rate and review it, and then you know. Good ratings, good reviews. Share with your friends, and then do the same for me while while you're at it. And uh, we will uh, definitely look forward to the show regarding Africa. You can compare and contrast it to some of the stuff that I talked about over a year ago with PJ Black, uh, where we talked about some African monsters and some other math- African myths and stuff like that. And then if you want some st- strict history on Africa. Uh, you can listen to the History of Africa podcast, but the the episodes where Andy was on this show, and he's done at least two shows here um, as well. And if you're interested in some of learning a little bit more about Indra and Vishnu and all of that, um, just uh, dropped an episode uh, August 19th, I think. It was called uh, Veda and uh, Into India or Into India and the Veda Cultures. Something like Anyway, you'll, you'll figure it out. Um, the, the date anyway, was Friday, uh, August 19th, 2022. So it's pretty easy. The one thing I like about my show is that, uh, I think that it's timeless, which is the same as your show. It's rarely date sensitive. I try to avoid getting into current events to the extent possible. Um, and I, I, you know, your shows do the same. Yeah, no, I used to delve a bit into history and I was like, you know what, I'm not a historian, I'm a classicist, I'm all about culture, not dates. Yeah, well, we dabble with history, but when we dabble with history, we have actual historians on here. and things. We dabble with everything. I mean, this is this is an odd show. Like, like I've had the, the, the host of the Red Line podcast, which is current affairs mm-hmm. geopolitical, but, you know, I want them to talk about some things that were not widely known. Anyway, my audience should already know about that, but if you're new, then just know that this is a variety show and there's whole lots of stuff there and if you trust my little curious mind and the strange connections i made and the dots that sometimes i connect or sometimes that i jump over three or four dots to get to the fifth you know but you're you want to come along for the ride you know you know i'll take you there so again thank you all for listening thank you for participating we look forward to having our next show with you and you've promoted all the stuff that you want to promote. By the way, I, I never tell anyone this, but if you want to follow me, you can follow me uh, at IcarusFellMD on Twitter. It's, it's fine. And Garden of Doom has a Facebook page as well. So uh, I sort of curate sort of articles about science, the weird, uh, alligators attacking people, you know, and, and you know, all, all sorts of stuff from a bunch of different sources. So instead of you following 16 different, you know, Facebook pages, you know, I try to curate what I think that my audience would be interested in. So you can check that out too. 
All right. Thanks all. We will hear you next week on Garden of Doom. Shoot, who's it, Thomas?